1: diving back into the zero rb universe and also looking at what you should do regarding roster management in season at this point as you head towards the fantasy football championship towards the playoffs but also what that means for your roster construction and the build-up of your roster some of the tricky decisions i know a lot of rotoviz ot listeners are going to have over the next possibly couple of days possibly 10 days depending on how it works out with the likes of a Devin Achan coming back, with a uh, Justin Jefferson coming back, Pat Firemouth, lots of players that have been on your injured reserves. If it's in the Dynasty League, for example, going to have to make space for them, potentially cut some players that you may not want to cut. Maybe you want to trade them over the next couple of days. So we're going to talk through a lot of different stuff during today's episode. Sean, it's hard to believe we're in not just to double digits, but we are at NFL Week 11. This is the crunch time. This is the time where You need those back-to-back week wins to get in or to secure a buy in the playoffs. This is a pretty exciting time of the year. It really is. And
2: when we're looking at the variety of decisions that have to be made, you want to be figuring out how to sell in situations that you are going to miss the playoffs. How do you make that dynasty team stronger? If you are heading toward a possible title this is the time period where you could perhaps make that move to put you over the top and you hope that the move will be one that is both for now and the future but we get to see some really interesting trades as we get to this point column because you do have some teams making moves to try and get younger and they're willing to give up a lot of veteran value the one that Flashed through my inbox this morning was a team moving Mike Evans and Josh Jacobs essentially for Puka Nukua. I like Puka for the long term. I have him ranked really high in my dynasty rankings. Ben Gretchen I just did our 2023 midseason version of the projecting the 2024 first and second rounds. And Puka does sneak into my second round for 2024 redraft. And yet that's an interesting trade because Mike Evans is having a fantastic season. Josh Jacobs right now has some of the best volume in fantasy in the zero RB universe. I do write about some of the concerns that he faces over the next couple of months as he tries to live up to the standard he set in 2022. And yet to get both of those guys for a rookie who could see his value fall over the next month. As Cooper Cup plays in, as we have Matthew Stafford returning and hopefully staying healthy, that's an interesting one. It does show you just how much you can potentially get if you are stashing some of these young players. Call I've had some managers reach out to us in some teams where, for example, the one that Bjorn and I drafted, where we put together a very, very young team kind of pointing at 2024 with some flexibility for this season. It started out really hot. It had some injuries, and it's had some lackluster QE play as of late, and so now it's kind of right on the border of making the playoffs, not making the playoffs. In some ways, it's almost better if it misses in all likelihood because it doesn't have the very high-end scoring for the next six, seven weeks. If you miss, if you win the back draw, you can get one of those very high picks to go along with the pick depth. People have been reaching out about some of the young players and have been kind of resisting those trades in part because it would seem to be veterans that we don't need that we would get back. And yet you have to be open to all different types of trades because if someone is willing to give you really a a significant excess of value right now for a young player, you have to consider that. So someone like a Zay Flowers, for example, I think in a similar boat to nakuo where the long-term outlook is very bright, the short-term outlook is probably you know barely robust as well. Do you move him for some older pieces, even if you have a younger team? That it's an interesting dynamic at play there. And so one of the things that we're looking to do with the perpetual reloading mindset is to take value where we get it sometimes trade away players who would help us win right now if it makes the team even stronger and that's including teams that are going to be contenders for the title but the other thing that you can do is once you get so much total value on your roster once you've built this juggernaut that looks somewhat unstoppable if you have a young player or two that are you know vaguely redundant and especially if you have built pick value on top of that so you have a team that is maybe cruising toward a buy you've got a lot of young talent on the team but you also have a lot of picks for 2024 that is a situation where maybe you would move into kua and take multiple veterans if for no other reason then sometimes you'll be surprised at how much value in that example i gave like a josh jacobs might have next offseason so the manager in this example who moved for the veteran pieces, it's going to be very hard for them to not win this trade. So that's something that you want to be aware of. There is a tipping point at which getting younger still allows you to lose that trade. That's something we're working with here. Colin, what was the trade offer we got? And what, was, what were the concerns that we had, the ramifications that we had to work through in order to decide whether we wanted to add a piece? So you and I have a team that was in that sort of first second battle for most of the season then we had justin jefferson go down we also have pat Fryermuth on the ir we've missed the flexibility of having matthew stafford in this super flex format for a couple of weeks so we have fallen to the fourth seed but especially with jefferson coming back i do really like our squad i think we should make a push for this year's title how are we looking here as we're trying to navigate the trade deadline
1: yeah so not to get too much into the team but you mentioned you give a good background of where it currently sits it is six on four in the season but it you know in the ffpc and in the triflex format goes by victory points so we are right there sean with the two seed the one seed just kind of pulled away over the last couple of weeks they're on 31 victory points we're on 25 the team in second is on 27 the team in third is in 26 so with a strong week you really get yourself back into play with that bye week potential there. So the sooner we get Justin Jefferson back, the better <laughs> is kind of what we're saying. We were cruising at that at that particular juncture of the season. But the trade Sean that was offered into us was Brandon Cooks, who obviously had a massive week in NFL week 10 for a 2024 third. So there's a couple of things there. Obviously Sean mentioned about the potential of getting younger, but in this case you would be getting a veteran, you would be trading away the potential for that draft pick in 2024 but you would also be adding to a wide receiver room that we have had some issues with over the last couple of weeks, particularly with Jefferson out. So it's a DeAndre Hopkins, Quentin Johnson, George Pickens, Jerry Judy, Rondell Moore, Jamison Williams, team at wide receiver. So the depth that maybe we hoped was there at the start of the season, taking a key pillar out like Justin Jefferson has led to not as high scoring as you would hope at the wide receiver position but Sean mentioned Pat Firemouth also on injured reserve he is likely coming back over the next couple of weeks Justin Jefferson potentially even back in week 10 or sorry week 11 but no we should have him back in the next couple of weeks here so the key factor and it not only is the draft capital that you would give up I think it's a pretty fair trade in terms of the cooks for the third but the issues then that you would fall into and this is what wanted to talk about partly on today's show is if you have a team that has some of these players on injured reserve, I know a lot of people will have had that feeling when they go to set their lineup, maybe even on a Sunday after having previously set it on a Thursday and the player has been activated off injured reserve and then you can't you know, submit a valid lineup because you have a player now who shouldn't be on the IR and is still there, then you have to cut somebody. You have to make that decision kind of at that moment to, to get your lineup set. So part of the decision here when we're looking at this is already if we were to make this particular trade if we thought we really needed let's say cooks for this week alone if it was a one week thing even though you were giving up the draft capital you are going to, have to cut somebody else on the roster so some of the options that we would have to cut at this particular moment in time if we look at who sits on the bench currently would really probably be michael carter who has been obviously cut by the jets now ended up in arizona but the other players that are in there you know the likes of a uh, darrell henderson know you're not gonna be cutting roshan johnson you're not gonna be cutting antonio gibson hunter henry is probably the next name that would fall into play for that players that i think can be valuable throughout the the rest of the season here for this roster so we're already looking at if we take in cooks one of those guys has to go but the next part is then if the scenario that i mentioned with justin jefferson if he's activated for week 11 that also means now that you had a cooks on your roster but you also have to cut another player so at the moment we're probably thinking sean that michael carter is likely the player that we could cut in this scenario but we almost have him earmarked for justin jefferson coming back onto the roster and then the next part would be if pat fireman is activated who do we remove then maybe that because it's a tight end might lead to hunter henry but there is a lot more to some of these trades coming up to the trade deadline more so than just adding a player to the roster obviously if you have a roster that doesn't have depth or you have deeper rosters there's a lot more flexibility you know the some of the leagues i'm in are you know 30 spots and that's going to give you a lot more options as to who be sitting there on the bench you might have some guys at the very end that you really don't care if you cut but that would be part of the reason why we wouldn't currently be accepting this trade now if it was a case that the offer sean you mentioned one that feels like it's almost too good to give up you know getting the mike evans side in and giving up with Nakua on the other side and also getting in your running back and Josh Jacobs but if it was something to that effect you still have to make these decisions but it might make the decision easier in terms of cutting some of the players that are on the back end of the roster but that's kind of the reason that we would be looking at it from that perspective anything that you would add to that Sean Well, when we look at the offer itself and we think about Brandon
2: Cooks and we think about his lack of involvement to this point, that doesn't mean we couldn't get a big change, right? You have Noah Brown blowing up for the Houston Texans over the last couple of weeks. There are reasons to believe that that will continue, at least in part, as we go forward. But having those picks creates optionality. And I know that one of the elements with these future picks is that a lot of fantasy managers are going to look at them and say, the actual value of the pick is fairly minimal and that part is true and yet the more picks you have the more likelihood you have to hit on one of the really big results from this group that overall isn't worth that much so we look at this past year's draft just as an example and we see that the first three picks in round three are josh jones rasheed rice and roshan johnson rasheed rice in one of my leagues went at the 111 and i mean that's probably a little bit rich and yet there's a possibility that rice is going to eventually hit to that level it was frustrating for us obviously when it was actually jj and his partner who had the pick right ahead of us there they picked Rashi rice we selected roshan really either of the two wide receivers right ahead would be wonderful players to have on your team josh jones is having a fantastic season now our pick if everything goes right will actually be toward the bottom of round three In the middle of round three, you do have something of a tear break, and so the rest of it isn't as impressive. But Luke Musgrave goes in the second half of round three. He's been a big piece for the Packers and looks like someone who could really emerge even further. There are some fun names as we go deeper into the draft, like an Israel, a in round four. That didn't work out because of some of the things that happened subsequently. But again, having the option of making that selection and seeing what happens. I mean, the time value of it the optionality again that's what you're really buying there you have a jerome ford who goes at the 408 ford has been a big piece this season as you work through the rest of the guys who go sean tucker goes at the 501 again that hasn't panned out but if you have four five six players in that ilk if one of them hits it really helps you if you move all of those picks away, then you don't have again that chance to hit on the one who does come through. And then the biggest one obviously is Puka himself who goes at the 703. So the reason that we stockpile those picks even all the way through round 7 is just to be able to hold them through the summer all the way up to like the last week of the off season. You're going to have to cut most of the guys. Sometimes you make a mistake in who you cut, but The flexibility there, the depth on your roster, the trades that you can make subsequently at that point where maybe you have too many people, but someone will give you a future four or a future five and you can continue the process. That's what I'm looking at there. So even if we didn't have this element where we'd have to cut players off of our roster, it's been a little bit of an issue column, not so much on our particular team because we've had so many players go to IR and because you and I took over this team relatively recently. And so we haven't built the crazy depth that some other rosters would have, but it's it's been a little bit tricky. One of the things that's so fun about the FFPC dynasty format is that waivers actually matter. There are some guys on waivers every week who you'd want to pick up. When you have players all the way through 19 and 20, it reduces that flexibility a little bit. So you can say that that's a problem, that's a reason to try and really concentrate the value you have and try and move everybody into these top players certainly if you can actually move your value into a very top guy i think you want to consider that and call that kind of brings us to the counter offer we made now the counter didn't have anything to do with the offer that came in but anytime that you receive an offer you know that that manager is willing to make some moves this particular manager is in a really strange situation because he's actually not that far from making the playoffs but the league itself is so balanced that he's also only one victory point away from claiming a buy in the back draw. If you get a buy in the back draw, that's obviously very healthy. That locks you into a top four pick, and so this team might be looking to, you know, more or less tank the rest of the season. Column, we wanted Brees Hall. Brees Hall is usually one of those players who's going to be labeled untouchable, and yet every player has. Of value. And if you're going to make a trade offer for someone who's kind of in that untouchable range, you have to give meaningful pieces and interesting pieces. What are your thoughts on who we gave up or who we offered? And do you think it's a legitimate possibility here that we could get this accepted?
1: one of my absolute favorite things in the entire world is attending live events the atmosphere the sound all the little intricate details you can see when you're there live in person it is just an amazing time one of the biggest downsides though of it can be the stress and trying to find tickets before the event to make sure you get the best seats and that is where game time comes in buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for sports music comedy and theater near you with killer deals on last minute tickets on their best price guarantee you can stop stressing over tickets start getting hyped for the fun that you're about to have game time is the place to get those last minute ticket deals and it's the fastest growing ticket app in the country for a reason exclusive flash deals on all the events coming up and you can buy tickets in a matter of seconds two taps and you're set and you can snag tickets today without the stress with game time download the game time app create an account and use the code Rotoviz for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code Rotoviz for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: being pessimistic i think it's not going to get accepted but based on what you've explained and where they are and how their outlook is for the season potentially at this point where they could go either way but it feels like the way their roster is set up potentially for this week as we actually face this team this week it may be that they're trying to as sean mentioned slide down the rankings a little bit here so Brees hall we have offered a 2024 first round pick george pickens and roshan johnson who sean mentioned already on the podcast so i think that you know pre this season george pickens stock was at a much higher point than it is now i think there's some concerns with uh, wouldn't, maybe not behavioral concerns but just how he's fitting into the overall stater's dynamic the locker room the community aspect of it we'll leave it at that so there is questions you also have Deontay johnson coming in and starting to pick up again so Maybe this manager may think that George Pickens isn't the player that he wants on his roster, but the other side of that is maybe he thinks the long-term play is to have George Pickens in 2024 and beyond. Roshan Johnson has missed a good portion of the season, but I think the case for him still stands from what we would have talked about last offseason. I would love, Sean, if this makes it in to get Brees Hall. I can see how this could potentially work for them. I can see how having Brees Hall, it's not very hard to make the case how that would work for us. I think it's a very interesting trade. And I think, again, this is one from league to league. So there's probably Brees Hall managers listening to this show now, and they probably think I would never, ever accept that offer. But then at the same time, if you're in a scenario and if what the other manager is trying to do is move into that potential scenario of getting the first overall pick this current upcoming draft, it might make sense for him to do that because there is going to be question marks raised if he has brees hall on the bench each week when he is lining up this roster that is not really in the spirit of the overall competition so sean i'm i'm not optimistic it will get accepted but i would be willing to continue to work towards it if it was something that was open to the opposing manager are you confident do you think in terms of offered trade value that it's right there on the line of what you could see being accepted i think that it is
2: because Even though Brees Hall isn't... I mean, we would make the move for Brees Hall. We want Brees Hall... So you could argue that obviously you wouldn't do it the other way if you're willing to give up those pieces for him. And yet, when you look at the value of the individual pieces, it's again the youth and the flexibility that you're buying and the contingent upside for a player like a Roshan Johnson. So even though his actual fantasy value right now is minimal... The fact that he's a three-down back with receiving upside means that if you hit on him, then you're hitting big. Maybe you make the argument that we should pull him back out and offer a piece that has a little bit more locked-in value but less contingent upside so that we don't lose big on that trade. One of the things that you want to do is make sure that you're not selling low on players where they're not actually going to move the needle. So if you don't think that George Pickens matters then you don't include him in the deal because there's a chance that he still blows up. And if you're not actually benefiting from including him in the deal, then you want to retain the contingent upside on your own roster, not move it to somebody else. So it's one of these situations where I think you have to put it out there, see what they think, what their interest level is. There are going to be some Brees Hall managers who really are okay getting rid of the risk that you have with the offensive situation with the Jets. And there are going to be some managers who are really okay with the idea of moving away from the risk of the running back position. And that's where our first round pick matters, right? There are different times of the season when fantasy managers really value the first round picks and other times when they tend to not get people quite as fired up. You have to make sure that you're benefiting from the value when it's there and not kind of selling low on it when it isn't i think the first round pick here matters now we are likely to make the playoffs but one of the things that the opposing manager has to consider is at least the small possibility that we miss and if we miss then our chances of actually winning the number one overall pick are very good because we would have almost certainly the best team in the backdrop But there's also this possibility that even if you make it, you end up with a pick in the 107 to 109 range. The players in that range, when we're in the draft itself, are going to get people fired up in a way that's not that dissimilar to a Brees Hall. And so when you're thinking about the 107, the 108, 109, and then you're adding Pickens, you're adding Roshan, I think it's an interesting thing for the other side. And certainly a valid trade to throw out there. You, In order to make these trades, I think that it's important to include meaningful pieces. So anytime that I'm trying to trade for someone who matters, I'll throw in something like a first round pick because you have to get that manager's attention and signal that you're truly serious about it. If you're not serious, the trade talks aren't going to go anywhere. You mentioned pessimism. I wouldn't think about it from a pessimistic perspective, but simply the fact that in any given trade, in any given trade offer, your chances of having it Be accepted, even if the trade is balanced, are not that great because the managers who already have those players, in most cases, have them for a reason, which is that they were higher than the market on that guy. And that portion of it makes it more difficult for a trade to work. And so you have to understand that it's not the value in a vacuum that matters necessarily either, but the value that each individual manager places on those pieces that part will be interesting. You know, if we draw a counter, something like that will give us information. Them, I like most of the guys that we have. I don't think that we necessarily have pieces that would make the trade work in a different configuration, but you never know.
1: You never know. So we'll see what happens. Uh, this is something that we just discussed and kind of countered right before recording this. We have obviously talked about the D- Dynasty reanimators throughout the offseason. This is that team. So the journey continues. We're hoping to head up the mountain again get justin jefferson back and, and claim that championship but we'll see if we're doing that with Brees hall or if we're doing it with the current crew that we have but anyone that's looking to make some trades ahead of the trade deadline in your league sean something i also think trade deadlines let's just let the trades happen up until the playoffs at least start let, let it run through similar to the nfl let that trade deadline move to let's say week 11 imagine the excitement heading into thanksgiving or if we even do it in week 12 the thanksgiving week getting these maybe it's not fair to trade people when they're ready to have their thanksgiving dinner like we'll figure all that out um i haven't thought that deeply into but i always think that the trade deadline for the nfl should be moved further forward and we've seen more trades over the last Four or five years than we had seen probably in the previous 25 so it is becoming more popular for trades to occur and i think teams would know more about their team similar to what people would know about their dynasty teams at a further point through the season so extend those trade deadlines out but if you are looking to trade for running backs we are going to talk about the zero rb universe it will be linked in today's show notes sean's article up on rotoviz.com he mentions week 11 buy and sell options for every type of fantasy manager there is a lot of great information as always shown in this article some of the parts i want to look into some of the backfields kind of in a moment not just right away but from a rest of season perspective you know which player versus which player who would we rather have sometimes at this point you know it was only last week we were talking about the jalen warren effect and when would he be the starter well he is now technically the starter but we did sell Naji harris getting into the end zone in, in week 10 but that has been something that has been kind of should have been coming all season long but there is still backfields that will be determined over the next six seven weeks so we will jump into that one of the parts that i want to start off with though what the you know talking about the tools on the website and of course if you are signing up over at rotoviz.com you can use the code rv radio 2023 to get yourself a 10 percent discount to access the tools and the content The strength of schedule for the rest of the season you've broken down in this article. And also, so that's weeks 11 through 14, but also the playoff weeks. So, if it's a case that you're looking ahead, maybe your team is coasting towards that playoffs and you're looking ahead to the best matches at that point, those playoffs obviously week 15 through 17. Any particular team standing out for you just purely for strength of schedule to give them an additional look ahead of the the next couple of weeks? When we look
2: at this regular season version. The thing we see at the very top are the Houston Texans. And this comes Devin on Devin Singletary. Yes. He's coming. 30 carries, 150 yards. Devin Singletary has had an excellent forced miss tackle rate again in 2023. Singletary has been a guy who has posted elite peripherals for many seasons with the Buffalo Bills. And yet never really seemed like a perfect fit for their offense despite what he was getting done. And Singletary, I mean, he's one of these guys with the sort of odd ability to make defenders miss the lateral agility. There is very impressive. And yet the long speed along with the size is absent. And so you don't have the long speed. You're not going to turn these missed tackles into 70 yard runs And without the size, you're not going to turn some of these plays into this just visually dynamic, like snap-in, snap-out running game, right? If you don't have that size, if you're not punishing defenses, then you tend to fall out of...
1: So you're saying that Devin Singletary isn't Marshawn Lynch. That's that's what you're saying. Well, he's not Marshawn Lynch, no.
2: (laughs) And I think because of the specific profile, it can be harder for him to hold on to the workload maybe that even he deserves in some cases. In 2023, he's benefited from the fact that Damian Pierce has really struggled and the Houston Texans don't run block particularly well. They are tied for the worst blown block rate in the entire league that's in the running game. And so as a result, you end up with the Texans moving the ball through the air, CJ Stroud, all of the Uh, words that we and everyone else have devoted to his borderline miraculous rookie season but now that you have singletary into this situation where he is benefiting from the explosiveness of the offense and getting a decent workload he's interesting because he can play and you think about the 2021 playoff stretch where he was right there at the top of the overall running back scoring if we were to get something like that from him over the next month and again the area where he ranks number one is not in the fantasy playoffs it is over the next four weeks weeks 11 to 14 and as you're trying to make your playoff push that could really matter for you i don't think that you should go out and spend a ton to get devin singletary he's got a below average schedule in the actual fantasy playoffs themselves and yet he's an interesting name here coming off of such a big workload
1: and Sean before we get into kind of the backfield splits where some of the changes may occur there is good news coming for people who drafted running backs in the first round playoff weeks week 15 through 17. probably aren't going to, have to acquire these guys in your dynasty league unless you're adding huge huge offers in there but it's looking pretty positive for the LA Chargers so we get Austin Eckler and DeAndre Swift they are in the top four in terms of the good matchups moving forward here. But also interesting, Sean, that you know, we were talking there a little bit about the Pittsburgh side of things. They have the second most favorable set of matchups coming up here for the playoff schedule. Any concerns around DeAndre Swift? Though I don't think there's really any concerns around McCaffrey or Eckler, and it sets them up for absolute prime matchups as we go into those playoffs. But DeAndre Swift obviously started the season very strong. It has quietened down over the, the last kind of five or so games. What is your feelings as we move forward here? for DeAndre Swift as the lead back in this Eagles offense. Obviously we have seen how much he can be affected. Last year we seen Justin Jefferson that felt like you know down at the two yard line over and over again. But this year DeAndre Swift has been kind of tackled and said the five on multiple occasions led to Jalen Hurt's touchdowns. Any any concerns here? Are you still very positive on on Swift as a league winning running back over the the rest of the season here?
2: Yeah. Just to make clear for anyone listening, the segue there that you made is moving us into specifically the playoff schedule. And so if you check out the article, you can look at the two different groups separately. Obviously if you're just playing with the tools yourself, you can get any specific chunk of time that you need for your individual rosters situation. You mentioned McCaffrey and Eckler having great playoff schedules. Not hard to understand how that could make them tournament winners. DeAndre Swift is in an interesting situation because he's kind of at the two ends of the spectrum here where the next four weeks, his schedule continues to be very, very difficult. And so if you are trying to make the playoffs, then maybe you need to to sell right? Because that's the first step always. And anytime you're going to sell someone like DeAndre Swift, you're going to get back a piece that matters. So it's not like you're just getting rid of the guy because he has a hard schedule. You're going to be getting back something that helps you. And so you might want to move him there. One of the things that's been so disappointing is over the first month, he averages 6.2 yards per carry over the remainder of the season. He's dropped down to 3.3 column. He was at 3.2 yards before contact in that first stretch and now that's what he's averaging sort of overall the ability of the eagles to create these big gaps that he was running through in the first month that has not been there he's having to break more tackles that portion of his game is not necessarily his strength you can say well i mean any back is going to benefit from having more blocked yardage and that is true but Swift, Swift is one of the guys where if there is blocked yardage he's going to get that and more he's so dynamic at the second level you take it back to the playoff portion in weeks 15 16 17 then he moves back into this great schedule and so if you're set and maybe you don't have swift on your roster but you are cruising toward the bye he would be a guy to go out and get to make sure that you have the best possible team at that point some you know pretty savvy listeners are probably going to be thinking to themselves okay if he has such a tough schedule over the next month, couldn't he potentially lose the job? I guess I don't think that Kenneth Gainwell has played well enough to push that. You go and look at his peripherals and they are really pretty bad for a running back playing in this Eagles offense. The guy that maybe is the biggest concern who actually did get a couple of carries in their most recent game. So that was you know, low key, maybe a pretty meaningful <laughs> data point there it would be Rashad Penny, right? So Penny is also someone where if he's completely free in your league and you've got enough roster spots, you might stash him for this week 15, 16, 17 stretch. I mean, this is going to be a time period where they play the Seahawks a more neutral matchup, but then they get the Giants where maybe you win by 60. You get the Arizona Cardinals. The Cardinals are a little bit of a different team now with Kyler Murray, but a team where, I mean, that game could shoot out and could shoot out really on the ground for the eagles it could be a game where deandre swift scores like 35 points so i mean these are matchups that you really want to target for the fantasy semis and finals keep that in mind and just sort of have your expectations in check for what the philadelphia offense is likely to be like over the next month and then how that contrasts with the fantasy playoffs i think that the game This upcoming Monday night will be fascinating where you have DeAndre Swift and the Eagles going against the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs game against the Dolphins over in Europe was really sort of a worst case scenario for all of us who are mostly interested in that game from a fantasy perspective where the Chiefs continued to watch their offense deteriorate, but they won because they shut down the Dolphins. Obviously, you have a Super Bowl rematch there. The Chiefs are going to have a lot in the playbook with the week to repair andy Reid has been fantastic coming off the bye but at some point you actually have to have players <laughs> to go along with the plays do they have that can they stop the eagles this game i think is going to tell us a little bit more about both teams than just your run of the mill on um, sunday afternoon performance
1: the other team sean that ha- you know hasn't had a good run really on offense they've changed their quarterback will levis came in had an impressive game where he obviously has a great connection with deandre hopkins but things haven't really worked the same way since that point and the backfield there has been interesting because Taji spears quite unlimited sample has been quite efficient in his work he's getting some more work in the passing game and what has really started to be kind of a lone bright spot kind of on the season so far for the titans offense but derrick henry is uh i don't know struggling might be a strong word because he has had impressive performances throughout this season where he's put up total as you know in the high teens he's had a high in terms of total points in ppr 24.4 this season but he has also had a two-point game a three-point game and a 9.2 game but those two and three-point games are some of his worst scores of the last multiple seasons how does that backfeed play out over the rest of the season? Is there enough there that people should be targeting Taiji Spears here over the next week or so?
2: Yeah, I think that what you're hoping, if you are a Spears manager, is that maybe at the very end of the season, if the Titans are completely out of it, that I mean they would shut down Henry and move on to the young players. Now the chances of that happening are probably pretty minimal derrick henry has an, another strong rushing line where it's not an elite evasion rate but very solid he's averaging three yards after contact i mean he's derrick henry right Derek there henry. hasn't been some significant decline yeah. the issue for him has been game environment and game script and so this is a situation here where he puts up his second complete and total dud i mentioned in the article that this season he's posted his two lowest scores over the last Five years and when you think about it in that context and you think about how spears has been the guy in the passing game he has 16 routes in this game he catches all four of his catchable targets he turns them into 42 yards they're looking for him to emerge and be the guy for the future there and then you look at the running back strength of schedule for the fantasy playoffs and you see that they rank number five behind a handful of teams who could score a lot of points, right? You have the Chargers at the top, you have the Steelers. You mentioned both Jalen Warren and Najee Harris could be RB ones in that stretch. Since we know that the Steelers can't throw the ball at all. You're the 49ers and McCaffrey there. You have Deandre Swift in the Eagles. And then the other team is the Titans. So I think that the most likely beneficiary is simply going to be Derrick Henry to where he scored enough points. And if you think about it from the perspective of best ball, where the spike weeks, Are more important. The duds certainly don't help you if you have holes in your roster. If you don't have enough total running backs, then that can really kill you. But if you have a rounded portfolio there, then you're probably fine. You get into the playoffs, and maybe you can go on a run with him scoring. And yet, yeah, it it would be great to see Spears take over this job. And and Will Levis needs some support. And I think that you know, as you mentioned him, it kind of goes back to this discussion that we had originally before the season started and that we had again a couple of weeks ago about how do you manage that QB position. And when you look at what CJ Stroud has done as an inexpensive quarterback, and then you think about where the Detroit Lions are with Jared Goff obviously Tua is scoring a bunch of points. Obviously Sam Howell is getting this crazy (laughs) volume situation that's allowing him to benefit from when he plays well, which he has mostly done. And so you have a variety of late quarterbacks, but you don't know ahead of time. You don't want to have this sort of hubris to say, I'm going to hit on the guys and that's the only way it's going to work. It's important to have the flexibility. And that's why I wanted to add Levis when he had that original great game but it's also why we continue to add other pieces with a Joshua Dobbs because the reason that Levis wasn't drafted in the top 10 picks the reason why he wasn't named the immediate starter ahead of Ryan Tannehill is that there are some huge warts on his profile that you know we've witnessed some issues with over the last couple weeks where there's you know no world right now in which will levis is the clear-cut future for the tennessee titans if he does hit he has the right profile to maybe help in fantasy and so you're adding a variety of guys preseason, at the end of drafts and certainly it would be great if stroud had been in there and in that group for us and then in season you're also adding both so you can have exposure to the guys who hit in a huge way and so you can get the matchup benefits there column i love the fact that we have Goff, and that we have Joshua Dobbs on that team. But Tennessee, a team that was going to be really interesting to track. I'm certainly hoping that at some point, Traylon Burks gets back and is healthy. There's no reason to think that he's going to take off at the end of this season. But for him to be a legitimate year three breakout option and someone that the titans can count on as they look to the future and try and figure out what the post derrick henry what the post deandre hopkins team is like it certainly looks like ty j spears will be part of that can Traylon burks be part of it can will levis be part of it a lot more questions and answers in tennessee but interesting questions and some interesting possibilities deep on their roster
1: A couple more before we finish up Sean off kind of split backfields at this moment in time, the Seahawks backfield has got much, much closer and almost tilting in the Zach Charbonnet direction after it being so positive for Kenneth Walker at the start of the season. I think I still think Kenneth Walker is playing really well, but Charbonnet has done enough to force his way in to make this a split. We obviously have Kenneth Walker on that roster that we discussed earlier, the dynasty roster. So we'll be starting him moving forward. Have you concerns over how Walker is going to be used for the Seahawks as we move forward here? And the other part of that is, you know, is he maybe at a by low point at this moment in time, or is Charbonnet the the guy to go out and target in the Seahawks backfield?
2: This is a tough one and a frustrating one, right? Because the sixty four yard touchdown to Walker again just so conclusively. Demonstrates what a star he is. You think back to his rookie season with this very Seahawks team, and his peripherals were fantastic. You think back to the year at Michigan State that was so good that it moved him up into the mix and got him drafted in the second round by this Seattle team. That season was fantastic. He has the sub 4 4 speed that allows you to create the big plays, and the big plays are so crucial in the modern NFL. Kenneth Walker is a star, and yet he's been a little bit of, I would say, a casualty of how poorly the Seahawks' offense has played in general. You pull up the Advanced Stat Explorer, you look at their run-blocking numbers, the Seahawks still rank in the top 10 in run points earned per snap, and yet, and you can see some of that, right, when Charbonnet carries, because he runs to the hole, he hits the guys, he carries them forward, you have that type of run that we sort of mentioned in earlier in the show that you're not going to get from someone like a Devin Singletary. The coaches like that type of run, the success rate on it can be very compelling. It's setting you up for these good situations. And if your quarterback is struggling, if your play caller is struggling, then you're like, just give me these safe, decent plays. And that's what Charbonnet is giving. And not just in the run game, but most importantly, it's in the passing game. So you see the biggest play of the week from running backs now brian robinson also had a very strong play as well but the biggest play comes from ken walker he only runs eight routes in this game and that contrasts with 24 from charbonnet that's a pretty clear-cut signal that charbonnet has taken over the top spot at least in the passing game and yet the then hilarious thing is that just on the one catch ken walker leads the position in yards after contact in the receiving game on the week. now again when you break long touchdown. That's how you create those types of stats. But one of the things that's been a refrain for OT from the beginning is that those plays matter. And you look at Travis Etienne, and he's someone who I had a lot of red flags on in this week's column, and I'm really worried about. And Colin, this isn't the first week we've been worried about him. You and I have been talking all season about why are they doing the running game this way. But Travis Travis Etienne can create big plays, and that's the reason that even though his EP is actually a little bit disappointing. I think that a lot of fantasy managers are thinking, I mean, how disappointing can he be when he's like running back three, running back four on the year and has all of these negatives? Like, couldn't it actually be a bounce back in a positive way? Well, it could be a bounce back in a positive way, but the reason that he has those fantasy points over expectation numbers where he's outperformed by three and a half points per game is because he can create the big play, but we know the big play is inconsistent, right? Right. And if your team doesn't give you the chances or the proper context to create those, you can go on a three or four game stretch where you don't perform as well. And then everybody starts asking questions, especially if the offense overall is cratery. And so I think that Travis Etienne and Kenneth Walker are in a similar circumstance here with the big difference being that Charbonnet has looked good, whereas Tank Bigsby has really, really struggled. And so Etienne has a better moat. He's got a better floor. He's got you know a better ceiling. But the overall situations are similar in that the offenses are struggling from the play caller and the quarterback on down. Those cascade effects down throughout the roster and throughout each individual drive do cause us to have questions about the scoring profile and how and when the big plays are going to manifest for some of our favorite guys. Rest of season.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned earlier in the show the volume that Sam Howell is getting. We talked about you know the improvement in the situation with not getting sacked, and obviously we talked about the targets to the running backs on a previous show this week. But that leads the question as to Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibson in Week Ten had thirty-eight rights, both scored a receiving touchdown. Is it a possibility that both of these guys can put up fantasy points over the entire rest of the season? We were talking in the offseason about what could the Denver Broncos potentially do in terms of Sean Payton and what he was able to do with the New Orleans Saints backfields over the years and have two running backs put up a lot of fantasy points. Is it possible that while we may have not been targeting this specific one, that the Washington Commanders is the backfield where there is two viable running backs to start down the stretch? Is there one of them that you would favor over the other, or do you think they're both sufficiently good running backs to use on a week-to-week basis? In terms of the workload, I I do think we're going to see Gibson use a lot more in the passing game. So what is your feelings here on the the backfield in Washington? It's obviously good for Sam Howell if he continues to do what has worked for him over the last couple of weeks and target the running backs rather than, than take those sacks.
2: You look at the situation, and it's really a kind of a, a good news, bad news dynamic. And, I mean, Brian Robinson was one of our priority selections before the season. And right now, on a per-game basis, he is more or less tied with Josh Jacobs. He is more or less tied with our guy, DeAndre Swift. He is actually slightly ahead of Derrick Henry, whom we just mentioned he's ahead of bjohn robinson which seems impossible now part of that is because robinson was active but sick for a game and essentially takes a zero in there he's ahead of Brees hall he's ahead of jonathan taylor again looking at these guys on a per game base he's ahead of someone like joe mixon who is obviously much more expensive and yet if you look at how robinson is scoring it is based on plays that are probably not repeatable in terms of those two long receptions that he gets in Week 10. And it's based on getting high-value touches that I don't believe he has enough of a monopoly on to feel that confident in him going forward. And I talk about this from the perspective of even my own rosters, where one of the uh, two teams that I drafted with listeners, having a lot of fun with that both nick and chandler have been a blast to co-manage teams with the one that nick and i have is right there on the edge of qualifying for the playoffs and our decision this last week between brian robinson jahan dotson and jerry judy was one that was not clear at all in part because all three of those guys have a very wide range in any given week obviously dotson blows up again last week and i said blows up kind of in a negative way i mean, his The whole thesis for having him out
1: there is just he blew blew up rather than blow it up,
2: right? And so you have that, you have Jerry Judy back in a terrible situation where, again, like the play is there, right? I mean, think about the play that Brian Robinson makes and the beautiful touch that Sam Howell exhibits on getting the ball around that defender, especially the second one of those two long receptions that he has. You contrast that with Jerry Judy being behind the defense for the touchdown to win the game. And Russell Wilson underthrows him by, I mean, granted, he's falling back, but probably ideally that pass would have been thrown another 15 yards. It's hard to underthrow an NFL pass by 15 yards, Colin, but Russell Wilson did that. The fact that Brian Robinson was not a clear cut start ahead of those two guys gives you a sense of where he's at. And I don't think that last week's situation where he has the two big plays really fixes that much for you. Because for Brian Robinson to be locked in, then he needs to be the guy ahead of antonio gibson antonio gibson also not that playable despite the high number of routes because you get down there by the goal line and robinson is going to be the guy who carries but there's not enough overall volume for a back like brian robinson and there's not enough remaining volume for antonio gibson when you have a back like brian robinson ahead of you so it's not that i wouldn't play these guys it's not that i haven't been in situations this season where i haven't played both of these guys but the way this team has evolved to being extremely pass heavy there are cool things about it for the running backs and yet i don't think that it solves the problems they have of making them anything other than mostly bye week starters or desperation starters hard to believe that's the case when robinson has outscored those names that i mentioned earlier
1: crushing me sean crushing me with your brian robinson just pouring water all over the flames but i'm hoping there'll be enough there maybe it'll just be a smoldering heat that keeps those teams that i have ticking over but yeah i can't we can't say sean we're closet commanders fans at this point i think we have to be we're sam howell fans and we you know he is the commander and we're, we're we're going on with it but the last team sean to talk about today without my terrible jokes is the ravens i want to give you a moment to talk about keaton mitchell what he's been able to do is it just a small sample size is it something that can break into a bigger role how does this backfield split up the rest of the season we obviously have Gus Edwards in there who's been getting into the end zone We have Keaton Mitchell who in his own right has been getting into the end zone and then Justice Hill who's been playing a lot of snaps but not getting a lot of touches a note on Keaton Mitchell Sean there's a lot of history we've talked about over the last couple of weeks the only player in NFL history with 170 plus rushing yards and two or more Russian touchdowns in their first 10 career carries. So he got off to a pretty hot start, but is that a hot start that can continue? Will he continue to get more work and, and can he be the lead running back in this backfield? When you watch the tape off the big plays that he has made over the last couple of weeks, he is fast in capital letters with exclamation marks after the word fast. He is even against NFL caliber athletes, exceptional when he is. You know, cutting the corner and so on, and it looks like he's playing the game at a, a different speed. But what is the upside to that for him this season?
2: Well, if Week Ten is an indication, then the upside is like six carries next week, maybe seven carries the week after, maybe three carries the week after that, maybe five carries with a couple targets. Colin, you got to use. Well, like players. Marvin
1: Mims, but getting just a couple more targets.
2: It's it's so frustrating, right? <laughs> And yet you do also want to focus on the positive, which is that when they have used him, the Ravens have been at least successful to this point. Now he deserves the credit for it, but getting him on the edge. I mean, you think about, well, you know, what would Doug Peterson do if he had a weapon like Keaton Mitchell? If you'd just throw him into the line like he does with Travis Etienne. So the fact that the Ravens have gotten him on the edge, they got him the ball in space in the passing game. You create those big plays. I love that portion of it. And when you think about the near future, which is so important when you have... I mean, think about the situation with an H hand. you think about the situation early there with a Swift. When you have these guys who are game-breaking backs, but there appear to be questions about how much the team wants to use them, getting hot and continuing to build and earning that spot, really being able to get the workload is so key, and being in a good environment for that can help. And so the fact that the Ravens have a very good schedule over the next month is helpful. If they dominate the teams they're playing, do a very run-heavy approach overall as an offense, then you could see him tick up, and if he makes a few more plays, then you're starting to talk about a Devon Achan. You're starting to talk about a Jameer Gibbs. Because you think about early with the Lions. I mean, there are some games in there where it's just David Montgomery essentially playing the Gus Edwards role. There are parallels between those two teams where if you have a veteran back who can plunge for a handful of yards and can score the goal line touchdowns, you know how much work you get? mitchell is in a very different situation than gibbs because he's undrafted in stark contrast to gibbs going early in the first round is something think of a shock pick and yet what they can do is similar right so you'd love to see him out there the minnesota vikings have a great schedule over this next month and ty chandler is someone who if they actually let him play right he's been fantastic when he's touched the ball if they let him play we could get Not that same level of emergence, but you could get big plays from him as well. There are guys who really could change their entire careers over the next month and call them, in addition to just how much fun fantasy football and reality football are overall, watching these players blow up over the second half and become household names, really changing their entire lives. I'm fired up for it because we are going to see that from a handful of guys
1: in the next month to six weeks. Yeah, and we've seen it in the last two weeks with Joshua Dobbs. We are seeing players in real time basically changing the complete course of the future of their lives. And for some of these guys, if you're getting some of that quarterback money, it can be generations that you're you're changing along the way. So it's really cool to see that happening. And we're gonna have, I think, another explosive week of NFL action here in week eleven. Sean, this we have said this on every show, but this has been like a joy to follow this season compared (laughs) compared to the struggle of 2020 two so uh yeah hopefully another good week this week good luck to everyone playing in their fantasy football matchups this week hopefully you're getting those wins to get you towards the playoffs if you're looking at those best ball rosters because i know a lot of people will be putting more focus on them now as you get closer to that playoff hunt if you have some bbm4 teams in the mix or some of the 125 dollar or super flex baseball tournaments over at the ffpc in the mix hopefully they are going to finish in those qualifying spots to to help you have a race here for some big prize money the ot community sean over the last couple of seasons has done pretty pretty well in those contests so we'll see how we shape up at the end of the season that is going to do it for this edition of road of Biz ot if you haven't had a chance we did have our monday show we had a show that came out on wednesday and of course sean teased it already but two stealing bananas coming out over the end of this week projecting the first round on one episode and projecting the second round on the other episode for 2024 they will be available in your podcast player make sure you are subscribed to both road overtime and stealing bananas to get those shows as soon as they are available my name is colin kelly you can follow me on twitter at over to Marlin. my co-host is sean Siegel. check out his work up on rotoviz.com and until we are back have a good one